Meg Nally from Big Brother Season 17, and you are listening to The Recap. DJ Earworm, and you're listening to The Recap. Hi, I'm Heather McDonald, and you're listening to The Recap. It's American Idol winner Nick Fradiani, and you are listening to The Recap. Welcome to The Recap. I'm Erin McClory. And I'm Carly Miller. Today, we're going to talk about the private lives that celebrities live. And we're discussing how much we, as fans, as viewers, and as a society, deserve to know about these celebrities' private lives. And we're going to start with someone who maybe we thought we knew a little bit more about than we really do, and that is Chris Souls, who, of course, is a former contestant of The Bachelor and Bachelorette. He was on season 10 of The Bachelorette, and then he was named The Bachelor for season 19. So we thought we knew a lot about him. We got to see a lot of airtime with him. He was also on Dancing with the Stars, as many bachelors are. Right. Season 20. And he was just arrested this past week uh, after being involved in a fatal car crash and leaving the scene after the crash. Right. And that's what we knew of as of the night that it happened. But now there's a little bit of backpedaling, dare I say, in terms of the logistics of the accident itself and how Chris handled himself. So I think we just need to break all of this down because there's there's a lot to it. There is. It's a very complex story. And of course, it is a legal situation. So there's a lot that we don't know. There's a lot that we're not allowed to know. And there's a lot that's kind of still coming out. So we'll just go through what we do know. So we do know that he was taken into custody in Iowa, um, which is where he's from, where the accident happened. He fled the scene of a car accident that happened around around 8.20 p.m. The accident was between Souls and a tractor. So he rear-ended a tractor. Um, the man driving the tractor was 66-year-old Kenneth Mosier, who was pronounced dead upon arriving at the hospital. We have now learned that the two actually had a relationship and were, in fact, neighbors. So, so sad. It is very sad. I mean, he's so from a tragic. small town. That was a big part of his season was him being from a small town in Iowa, a town where everyone knows everyone, a right. town where people do drive tractors on the street. Um, so it's definitely a devastating story. He was arrested around 1 a.m. on Tuesday morning at his home in Arlington, which is about 15 miles away from where the accident happened. And he was charged um, with leaving the scene of a fatal accident, which is a Class D felony. So leaving the scene of any accident is a felony. It's also a fatal accident. So I I don't know much about the legal ramifications, but I do believe it's a little bit higher because it it was a fatal accident. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, it's nothing short of tragic, but as this has been unveiling over the course of the past few days, I know we initially heard that he was not cooperating with authorities, that he did in fact flee the scene of the crime upon hitting the tractor and the tractor fell into a ditch, which was ultimately what led to the injuries of Mr. Kenneth Mosier and ultimately ended up with him dying in the hospital. But Aaron, I feel as though now it's, it's different. And now that he has lawyers on the case and, and phenomenal lawyers, according to every article that I've read, it's a little different. He's he's said to have cooperated with the police and, you know, he wasn't acting belligerent by any means. But upon the, the article's initial release, it was just that, that there was possibly alcohol involved, that there was possibly open containers found in his car, that, you know, people found him leaving the scene, and, and they're the ones who called 911. And now we're learning otherwise. And I think that before we even dive into the situation is, is what do we think of that? And of course, there's, there's so much to digress in terms of truth versus lies and what we do know, but is it all too convenient that now he has lawyers and the story is kind of unraveling in, in more of his favor? Uh, 
it's hard because I think with any situation like this, what you hear initially isn't really necessarily what unfolded because of the shock value, because of, of, um, not being able to release a lot of information. I mean, the police obviously have very select information they're allowed to release. Lawyers are obviously very careful about what kind of information they let out. And we'll get into that a little later. So is it convenient? I don't know. I feel like this is kind of the way the story unfolds. And because it's a celebrity, of course, they want to get it out quicker and it becomes news much quicker. Whereas if this was, um, to ordinary people, I think that the facts would have kind of all come out at once a little bit later rather than kind of this trickle effect that we're getting right. and, and kind of swaying our opinion um, in different ways. And you mentioned alcohol and the potential of that being involved. And that's something that I do want to talk about a little further because there's a lot of details there that are still a little hazy. Right. So they're still investigating whether or not he was under the influence of any substance at the time of the accident. It's hard because he did flee the scene. And so they did take his blood, but it wasn't until five hours after the accident. So yeah. whether or not that can reveal much, I don't know. Um, he supposedly had open containers in the car, whether they were empty or not. Different reports are saying different things. They were saying that there were open containers and empty containers at the scene of the accident as well. Um, a source actually said, Ugh. quote, all these farmers drive around with open containers. And I believe that source was a member of his management team. I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure that's what one article said. Th really? That doesn't make it okay. <laughs> like, is that, really? does that make it Wait, okay? No, the law is the law is the law. I'm sorry. But just because, you, you know, you, you don't deserve to just categor categorize yourself as a farmer, even if you are one, and then just say, the law doesn't apply to me. I mean, an open container citation is very, very serious, especially when you're dealing with death. And so to almost dismiss it and say, well, everyone does it, like, uh, I don't think, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think that that's applicable by any means. So that's definitely, we've, we've covered the aspect of alcohol, at least to the fullest extent that we know. Now, what about the 911 call? Yeah, I mean, immediately the headline was Chris Soule's involved in fatal accident flees the scene. We now have learned that he actually did call 911 before fleeing the scene. So he did, when he called, he identified himself as Chris Soules and said that he rear-ended a tractor. So there's no question about if he was involved and what his involvement was. He admitted on the 911 call his name and his involvement about rear-ending the tractor. Um, the 911 operator did ask if Mosier was breathing and he did say that he couldn't tell, but that he didn't appear to be. So upon learning that, um, he did check Mosier Mosier's pulse and the operate he told the operator that Mosier did have a pulse um and he asked if he could call the operator back and I listened to part of the call that E! News had and he sounded very panicked uh, of course as anyone would be but you could also hear in the background someone counting like giving CPR and I believe the operator asked like do you know CPR and he said he didn't but you could hear in the background someone it sounded like someone who did know CPR was there maybe giving chest compulsions or whatever it may be and counting so it did sound like someone was giving CPR but Chris did hang up and never called back and of course mm. then we learned he did flee the scene how he fleed the scene there's some conflicting reports I mean there's reports that he drove away there's also reports that I believe this one is probably more accurate because it did come from a spokesman from the sheriff's department. Um, he said that Souls did walk away from the accident and was then picked up by a red pickup truck. So there's some questions there about if he was picked up by someone, that person could also be responsible for helping Chris flee the scene of a fatal accident. Absolutely. And Aaron, this is what we know so far, but we definitely know more about his history in the sense that this mm -hmm. isn't the first time he's had run-ins with the law. And I feel as though 
when anybody's under the spotlight, we're so quick to pull up things that oftentimes people could argue are of insignificance in the sense that you pull up their record and you'll use an underage drinking ticket that they got when they were 19 years old against them and, and their future. But I don't think that this is the case when considering his past charges in the sense that he's had a history that we never really knew about. And it's, it's, it runs a, a very fine line in comparison with the current situation. Now, of course, not to this extent, but we, we see a pattern here, if, if I'm correct in assuming that. No, you definitely are correct. And it's almost ironic that you mentioned the you know minor and possession charges that sometimes people try to pin against celebrities, and it's not as extreme as some other charges he actually was charged twice with that back in 2001, but we're not going to just be judging him off that because there's right. definitely a lot more there than that. So he did plead guilty to operating while intoxicated in 2006. From that, he was fined $500, given a 60-day jail sentence, a 58-day suspended jail sentence, and a year of probation. So he did have a DWI. Um, I believe it was a DWI operating while intoxicated back in 2006, you would think that from there you would learn. I mean, it, it sucks to even say a lesson has to be learned that way, the hard way, but he didn't. I mean, over the course of 12 years, he was found guilty of five speeding violations and the court dismissed a sixth one. Um, he was fined for running a stop sign in 2002 and defective brakes. And then um, he did leave a scene but of an accident, but that was then dropped. So we know that he has left the scene of an accident in the past. The charges weren't, you know, it wasn't gone through with. He wasn't convicted of it then. Um, he has operated a vehicle while intoxicated in the past. It's just, it's too much of the same. Exactly. You know, history is repeating itself here, and that's exactly what I think is, is happening. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, we can talk about his life and how hard it's been after The Bachelor, but of course that's not an excuse. I mean, he did end up, not marrying the person that he proposed to on the show, Whitney. Um, his former fiance, Whitney, is now engaged to someone else and planning a wedding. So she's right. clearly moved on. But whether she actually or not, did, by the way, release a statement. Oh, she did. I didn't see that. She did. Um, I don't have the direct quote, but it was something along the lines of how you know it, it's nothing short of tragic, and she's sending her well wishes and okay. you know hoping for the best right. for, for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, it was mature and, and nice but she has since spoken out about it okay well that's good to know definitely right. I mean, kind of like a generic what else Absolutely. is she gonna say but yeah. good for her for at least you know saying something about it she's not the only one though because luke pell from jojo season is friends with chris and he's come out in support of chris um saying quote we've got similar backgrounds growing up in small towns and everything so we have a lot in common and relate a lot on our backgrounds i've gotten to know chris and he's just a great guy that loves people who is very sincere and genuine that's what hook that's what hooks me is that, man, I just hate to hear that such a great person is going through such a struggle like this. It's sad. It is sad. And I, I, how much can you speak out in support of someone when something like this goes on? I, I get it. I get that you want to support someone. I mean, um, Marcus Grodd, who was on the season with Chris, has also come out saying that it's tragic that someone's life was lost and he, he's sure that Chris is scared and that he's probably devastated for the family but scared for himself. And he did say, quote, if he needs anything, I'm here. Right. And to Aaron, to that, I want to say you, you mentioned the, the concept of how much do you support someone who's involved in this situation. And I'm not excusing or using age for or against anybody. I think that throughout your life, you're always going to learn. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to mess up. But to counter that, 
He's 35 years old. Mm -hmm. He's not an 18-year-old, a 17-year-old who thinks he's invincible, who just got his license, who thinks that he can drive around with an open container, who's above the law. You're 35. And at some point, you have to grow up, and you have to realize that every action you do has a repercussion. And although you're not going to get into your car and think, today's the day I'm going to kill someone, I mean, of course, nobody would ever think that, or at least I'd, I'd hope not. But you need to think that way, and that's why you don't drink and drive, and that's why you don't have open containers, and that's why, you know, you're you're not going 20 miles, 30 miles over the speed limit because all of these laws are implemented for a reason, and I think that, again, you're a 35-year-old man, and I just, my heart doesn't break for you. My heart breaks for the family who lost their their grandfather, their husband, their dad, and, and that's what's devastating here, and so... No, at some point, it's pick yourself up by your bootstraps, grow up, don't drink and drive, don't speed, don't flee the scene of the crime. Like There are rights and there's wrongs, and when you do the wrong thing, there's going to be repercussions for those actions. Definitely. And I mean, we're not assuming that he was drunk. We're not assuming right. that those open containers necessarily meant he was under the influence or that he ran a stop sign or anything, but... There must have been something going on where he ran under this tractor, whether it was texting and driving under the influence. There's it something doesn't matter. there that went wrong. Right. And why flee? And I don't want to... It's a guilty conscience. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get too much into why flee because you don't know what that situation is like. The panic, the stress. The, I mean, just the 911 call itself was a little bit chilling. And... I don't want to necessarily assume that he fled because he was under the influence or he knew he was in the wrong and he wanted to, to get away and kind of avoid it. But it kind of makes you wonder. Absolutely. What were you hiding? Exactly. I couldn't agree more. And he's since deleted all of his Instagram accounts. We talk about uh, Instagram. I'm sorry. All of his social media it accounts. It started with Instagram. Instagram was the first to go. That's why it's on my mind. But again, you talk about fleeing and... and kind of backtracking and defending yourself good for you for taking that time to remain private but there's just something here that is not adding up yeah and, and I mean we'll figure it out with the legal team I don't want to say the name of the legal firm just because I the name I cannot pronounce but it's out of Des Moines so it's in Iowa they're known for handling civil and criminal law and they specialize in wrongful death and criminal defense so he's definitely hired some people who we think might be able to help us help him in this. Um, the attorneys did say in a statement that they're confident that once all the evidence is made public, that it's going to show that Chris acted reasonably and did everything in his power to provide aid to Mosher. Let's wait. And I see. don't know that that's really even the question. Like he called nine one one. We heard the call. We heard that he didn't know CPR, but someone was there giving him CPR. But at the end of the day, he is probably the one guilty for causing the accident, and he is definitely guilty of fleeing. Right. There's just that's black and white to me is that we know he fled, we know he rear-ended this tractor. I don't know how you're going to get out of that one. I mean, there's definitely two things to look at as far as legals are con legal is concerned. The first is criminal charges, so that relates to punishment. Now, I'm not a lawyer, but I took a legal class once. I took. I took a I took a legal class as well. Really? Well, yeah, communications in the courtroom. So okay, and I took legal environment and business. So if we put our heads together, we can probably naturally. Just crack I'm the sure case. we could pass the bar. Is oh, what we're saying, for right? For sure, that is what we're saying. <laughs> so the criminal charges relating to punishment that would be jail time, community service, DUI classes, whatever it may be. And then there's a civil case that can unfold. That's about money and and compensating the family that lost a loved one. So there's two cases here, two paths that he could end up going down. Likely, I have a feeling both, both I was gonna are going to be what it comes down to. Absolutely. I guess we'll just have to, to wait and see. But, it, I mean, it is nothing 
it's nothing short of devastating. And like we said here, whether we're talking about a bachelor or a man who made a mistake, at the end of the day, it costs someone their life. And, and that's the most devastating part of it all. It definitely is. I think something else interesting, I know we want to wrap up this topic, but one final thing I think is really interesting about this is just that it is in the public spotlight. And, and I mean, there's so much um, going on with the O.J. Simpson trial now, um, just like so much um, you know, the series and whatnot, so much more coming out about These people crime learning about it, I guess. A, yeah. a reality. And Absolutely. I think through that, we've learned that um, cases in the spotlight are kind of treated differently. And so it's kind of interesting that um, his attorneys did ask for a gag order, which would just mean that it can't be talked about in public. So I think that when you have a case like this, it is looked at differently. When you have a jury or whatnot or a judge who maybe has preconceived notions of these people, when you're trying to get a fair trial, it's kind. It, it, I think it is kind of harder as a celebrity. And we're talking about these celebrities living their lives and how much we deserve to know. But when it comes to something like this, I think it's kind of hard to draw that line. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Aaron. let's transition to another Chris. To following the same sort of thing in terms of living a, a private life and a more private life is that and we're talking about Chris Pratt because in Cigar Aficionado's June 2017 issue the 37 year old actor explains why he's not a fan of snapping photos with fans this is a topic that we've somewhat you know dipped into in the past but not to this extent so he says that he's always been a, a pretty differential go with the flow kind of guy but now he has to be economical with his time and he says if I go out I want to do normal things I want to be comfortable I have to be comfortable disappointing people and that is of course telling them no it's a good point I don't think it's anything that anybody likes to do. I don't think that anybody wants to disappoint people, especially celebrity disappointing fans, because your career is so heavily dependent on your fans. And I think there's some fear there that if you do disappoint your fans, what's going to happen to your career. But I get it. I get what he's saying. I mean, especially now with social media and, and paparazzi being even heavier than it has been in the past, I get that you do have to learn to say no to people. Otherwise, you're not going to get where you need to go. You're not going to be able to live your life. And every second of your life, you're going to be dedicating to other people. Absolutely, Aaron. That was so well said. And, and, and Pratt's been fairly open about his upbringing in the past. He's from Lake Stevens, Washington. And so when he was promoting his most recent film, Gardens of the Galaxy, Volume 2, he brought his family along with him. He has uh, one son. And he talked about raising his son in this world that is so much more different than the one in which he grew up in. And he said that he always wants to keep him humble and grounded, and he wants him to be spoiled, but not with materialistic things, because that's not ever something that he himself was spoiled with growing up. And he was spoiled with experiences, making the most of life, and love. And so he says that no matter what your, your fiscal status is, that's something that you can always do. And that's, of course, shower people with love. So he's definitely been open about this before. And, and talking about maintaining this sense of normality. And he says, I just don't take pictures with people because it's not about enjoying the moment. It's about stealing the moment to brag about it later. So I say, would you settle for a handshake? And then they continue and proceed to take the picture anyway. And I think that, you know, he, he spoke about how tough it is to adjusting to fame because he feels as though when someone's coming up to you, they meet you for the first time and their immediate reaction is to pull out their phone to take a picture of you. 
He thinks it discredits him. He, he's more than willing to talk to fans about him. Ask me, he says, ask me any, any question, but he really misses being able to sit down and talk to strangers who don't know him because there's already a preconceived notion whenever you meet someone that they already know. They know everything there is to know about you, and that's most definitely not the case. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a good way to put it. I didn't really think of it that way in that he's kind of like, you have this opportunity to get to know me a little bit more on a personal level rather than the superficial level that you see on TV or you see in the news or whatever it may be. But yet people are still really just concerned with the picture. And I think it's exactly what he was saying about bragging about the moment. You're not taking that picture for yourself to be able to go and look at every day. You're taking that picture to be able to post it on social media and let everyone else know that you met Chris Pratt or whoever the celebrity may be. He has such a good point with that. Absolutely. And it totally does. I think that we've we've talked about this in the past. There's no denying that. But what it comes down to is what celebrities owe their fans, for lack of better word, what do they owe and what do we as fans deserve? And I think that for more oftentimes than not, we have this, this mentality of, well, they chose this. They chose to be famous. But this is their job at the end of the day. And so when you're acting, you know, you're telling a story, you're, you're an actor, and that comes with events like red carpets instead of a, a gala or a, a business meeting or a late night in the office. That is part of your job. And although we as 22-year-old college students might not be able to, to fully comprehend or, or just normal people, you know, in society can't really wrap our heads around that. This is their job ultimately. And so did they choose – what did they choose to come with the price of fame? You know, you give up your normalcy to a certain extent. You're living in Hollywood. You're absorbed in this different lifestyle that, you know, consumers eat up and, and would do anything to be a part of. But I think that at what point – do you sacrifice your life? That doesn't come with the territory of being famous by any means, especially for someone so newly famous, arguably, got to start on Parks and Recs, but fairly new to this industry, totally blew up over the past two, three years. And he's saying from the beginning, this isn't how I want it to be. You know, he's not a Kardashian who's, who's all over social media and taking pictures with fans. He wants the respect of being a person, to, to be challenged, to be able to surprise people and good for him. Yeah, I, I like that you bring up how much did they ask for or sign up for when they became famous. And and this is their craft. So when you decide you want to be an actor, when you decide you want to be a singer, that's because that's what you're passionate about and that's what you love to do. And that's completely different than skyrocketing into fame for another reason. So if you want to be an actor, you want to be a musician, yes, fame can come with that territory and you kind of have to adjust to that. But I don't think that's what you sign up for rather than um, a reality star who goes on a show and they become famous for because of that. And then they're off put by taking pictures with fans or, or doing events and whatnot when it's kind of like, well, you went on The Bachelor, you went on Big Brother, you went on whatever show it was to right. find love, to win money. But that wasn't because that's what you were passionate about because that's what you wanted your career to be. And I think it's completely different when it's someone like Chris Pratt and someone who really is just making a living doing what they love. Absolutely. So well said. And, and people have spoken out about this more, more recently than ever. And mm -hmm. two of his co-stars, and those two people being Jennifer Lawrence and Amy Poehler. Jennifer Lawrence, who co-starred with Pratt in 2016 movie Passengers, says that she's big on boundaries too and that sometimes she's nice and sometimes she's just not in a mood to talk with other people to have her picture taken when she's out to eat, when she's enjoying time with her family. She, she realized that there's a fine 
fine line and she's allowed to say both yes or no. And she doesn't have to define herself as, as, as anybody to the public in that sense. And she says that, you know, it's hard because you don't want to be rude, but at the same time you have to defend both your, your life and your overall mental well-being. Yeah. And good for her for figuring that out. You want to talk about someone who's kind of skyrocketed in the last few years. Jennifer Lawrence, definitely someone else who has skyrocketed with the Hunger Games and whatnot. But there's so much pressure on people to be friendly all the time. And, you know, she said sometimes she's nice, but sometimes she just, she has a day. She's not in the mood. She needs some privacy. But we judge celebrities based on their interactions with the fans. If a fan posts on Twitter, met so-and-so today, like they refuse to take a picture with me, like whatever it may be, it kind of changes our perception of them. And I feel like they get a bad rap just because of one bad interaction with someone that can go viral. I mean, I listened to Elvis Duran. We talked about that before. They've done segments before where they've said, call in with celebrities you've met and what they were like. And someone can call in with a negative experience. And all of these listeners are now changing their opinion of this celebrity because of how they interacted with one person. Maybe they were having a bad day. There's just so much pressure on them to be perfect all the time. Absolutely. And if, if we can't wrap our heads around that, then I think that we can relate more to Amy Poehler. If you can't wrap your head around someone coming up to you at dinner and asking you to take a picture, I mean, understandably so. But Amy Poehler's been open about this dating back to 2013. She had an interview with Paper Magazine, and, and she said this was this was when social media was really on the rise and really growing and blowing up to what it is today. But she kind of just talks about the idea of your face being plastered everywhere is not something she desires. It's like when you're hanging out with your friends and they're constantly taking pictures, you don't love how you look, you don't care to see yourself, and it's like that image is now stuck with you for that moment. You're going to associate that time maybe with how you looked or if you didn't like yourself. And that's really what she said it, it takes away from the experience she doesn't enjoy pictures she doesn't like looking at herself and so when she meets someone and their immediate instinct is to take a picture with her or of her well that totally takes her away from the moment and her having any chance of enjoying it and I think that that's something that if you can't relate to someone coming up to you when you're at dinner and asking to take a picture of you you can relate to someone constantly wanting to document whatever it is you're doing whether it's a friend or anybody else in your life and you're not loving the way you look or you're not caring to have your picture taken and them not being able to respect that request. Definitely. I mean, there's such a fine line between wanting to document your experiences and being over the top and obnoxious and annoying and, and not living in the moment. And it's something we've talked about before with Kendall Jenner deleting her Instagram for not that long, but then <laughs> I decided to do the same. And it, it really has changed my mentality on things and I haven't been back. And I feel like I really am living in the moment more and I'm not taking out my phone to take a picture every time I go to get ice cream with a friend or whatever it may be. It's like, I don't need to necessarily document. I just Instagrammed ice cream the other day. Okay, that's okay. So did my roommate yesterday and that's okay. <laughs> but my point is we can relate to that. Right. See, like you don't need to necessarily document every part of your life and, and it can be you not living in the moment, I think. Absolutely. And in my defense here, there was a golden retriever at Purity Ice Cream. And so when I was there... I was taking the picture of the dog and my ice cream, of course, but I, I agree. You weren't in the picture. I, you weren't, like, taking Snapchat videos of all of your friends, like, smile for the camera. We need to remember this. You were taking a picture of a dog in an ice cream cone, not, like, a selfie of yourself with the dog. I get what you're saying. It was no baby V, but it was probably still a cute dog. It was. It was a cute dog. No baby V, but, but you're absolutely right. Erin, we mentioned celebrities talking about this and, and coming out about their experiences in terms of private versus public life. 
we have to move on to Emma Watson because she has rules about her fame, and I think that they're extremely admirable. So Emma Watson, you know, she she absolutely loves to act, but she also loves her privacy, and she's not one to not to to deny that by any means. And so in the latest issue of Interview, she talks about Harry Potter and growing up in the spotlight and that kind of being out of her control at times, but how she's always made it so that it is in her control. Because of course your life, as as famous as you might be, I think that it's truly important to acknowledge the fact that it is your life still and you should never let that slip away from you, your identity. And that's something that she values. That is her identity. And so she talks about the fact that she feels as though it's vital to keep her public and her private life two separate things because acting is her passion, acting is her job. And so when she plays these roles of the characters in which she signs on or she gets, she likes to fully encompass them and who they are and play those to her fullest extent. And she thinks that th there has to be a separation between Emma Watson and the character she plays. And so if she opens up too much and you know absolutely everything about her life, when she steps into a role, how are you going to disassociate those two people? She thinks that, you know, of course, when you take on the role of a character, you can you can understand that she's no longer the girl who played Harry Potter. She's going to take on new characters. But if you know everything about me as Emma Watson, then how can you fully appreciate the person that I'm playing on the big screen? That makes sense completely. I think so often we heavily associate an actor with their role, whether it's Daniel Radcliffe with Harry Potter, if we want to talk about Emma Watson, it's the same thing. And we talked in, in our last topic about people who have kind of blown up recently. Emma Watson, that's so not the case. I mean, she's been in this her entire life pretty much from being a child star from being in Harry Potter so for her to be able to set these rules I think that's what helps her stay grounded and, and be who she is today because so often we see child stars where that isn't the case and yet you have someone like Emma Watson well well maybe this is why she's been able to stay grounded and and be herself and be so happy being as big of a star as she is absolutely Aaron and she in the in the interview even talked about you, you mentioned Daniel Radcliffe. She mentioned both Daniel Radcliffe and Rupert Grint, the three of them being the main stars of the Harry Potter series throughout its entirety. And so she just mentions, you know, growing up and how they were part of a fantasy story, but their lives were actually fantasies in themselves because they grew to be, you know, worldwide global names in such a short amount of time at such a, at such a young age. And I think that it's just so important for her to be able to take a step back and realize, you know, her as an individual, her as an actor, and who she wants those two people to be. And you're allowed to separate those. You're allowed to live whatever life you want. So I think that it's it's amazing. And, and, and not having everyone know every single intimate detail about her entire life, she's able to do her job well, and she does it extremely well. Definitely. One of my favorite things that she talked about in her interview was how when someone takes a photograph of her and they post it, Within two seconds of that, they created a marker of where she is and within where she is within 10 meters. I mean, she's there and everyone knows now that she's there. That's scary. I mean, I'm even scared of posting my location sometimes and I'm not a celebrity, right? So right. I'm scared that people are going to know where I am. People try not to post necessarily when they're on vacation because their house could get broken into whatever it may be. When you're someone who everyone can see, thousands, millions of people can see where you are at any moment, that's scary. And we've seen that be a problem in the past. I mean, Kim Kardashian posting on Snapchat about where she was and then the robbery happening. Not to say one is to blame for the other, no, but, but it definitely could have been a factor in that 
they knew that she was alone in her room. And they know where you are. And she's been very, Kim Kardashian West has been extremely open about admitting that she was far too public right. with her life on social media. She, not that, again, not that she's to blame, but yeah, she did allow everybody to see what she was doing at every moment of each and every single day. And I think that it's interesting you mentioned pictures and we discussed this, which of course brings us back in a sense to Chris Pratt, Amy Poehler, and Jennifer Lawrence. And, and, Emma Watson has something similar to say. She says that she will sit down with any fan she meets and she will answer any single question, a series of questions, whatever they want about Harry Potter, whatever they want to know, because she's most famous for that and she's not going to deny that. But don't ask me to take a picture because that takes away from you meeting me and that just creates a staple for you to remember this moment as seeing me through this one image and that's what you're going to take with you She's like, ask me anything about the one movie that you probably like me from. And if that's not absolutely phenomenal, well, then I don't know what is. This is what fans deserve. They deserve so much more than just a shallow selfie with someone who you met in that moment. You can remember what they look like. If you want to see a picture of them, Google them. The they internet have is a phenomenal thing. Yeah. You know, so I just think that that's so interesting. She's she's offering here an opportunity. You're meeting me in person. Let me give you something that you can't seek anywhere else. Definitely. Right? And I, I want to bring up Justin Bieber. And it's not for the reason that you think. Because when we talk about these kinds of things, it brings me back to when you, I don't want to say blame, but hate on Bieber for the same type of things that these people are, are, are speaking out about and, and were in support of that. No. But, but no, different. let me tell you, it all just clicked for me about why it's different. Thank you. And because. I will tell you why. Okay, I'm excited. Because Justin Bieber has been... I don't want to say rude to fans, but he's not willing necessarily to take the time to stop and answer questions. It's not just don't take a picture with me. It's kind of brushing them off, canceling stuff, um, not really taking the time for fans. As where with these people, they're saying, get to know me, um, talk to me, don't necessarily just take a picture with me to brag about it. And I feel like that's kind of the separation where it seems like these people... I don't want to say care about their fans more, but they just want to make the deeper connections. I'm not saying care oh about their gosh. fans more. No, I just feel like everything I've been trying to argue for the past two years have suddenly we can we can we can come to an agreement, and it's it's absolutely amazing. And Aaron, I think that that one more thing is because I actually did mention Justin Bieber in in my notes for the show. And I think that that one vital component was one of our biggest arguments was when he canceled his meet and greets. And, of course, he spoke out about how it wasn't good for his overall mental well-being and his mental health at the time. And he was falling into a really dark, depressive state, which good for you for acknowledging that. But part of me felt like you had an obligation because this is your craft. You're going on concert. You're canceling tours last minute, not telling fans, offering them refunds. And that's what really, really rubbed me the wrong way. When he came out in 2016 and said that he wasn't crazy about taking pictures with fans because he felt as though he was a caged animal in a zoo, and that is, in fact, the comparison that he drew upon, I could relate to that more than him canceling meet and greets last minute, than him freaking out on fans over spilt water and running off stage and throwing tantrums. It is so different. And, and... I'm I'm happy that we can see eye to eye. Yeah, it's kind of like, I don't know. Did I just come up with a solution for Justin Bieber? I think that he should have meet and greets where no cell phones are allowed and there's no photographer present. Kind of just like an in-the-moment thing. And I'm sure it's still obnoxious with girls screaming and whatnot. But, yeah, like I get what, what you mean where it's like you can relate to him not wanting to be stuck in this bubble where everyone wants to take pictures of him and he feels like he's just an object to be looked at. 
So, yeah, I think we finally kind of reached reached middle ground on how we feel about it. Absolutely. And I think that it's important to note, no matter what your craft is as a public figure, no matter what you fall under, you don't really owe fans anything. And we yes. sitting here, we don't feel that sense of entitlement. And we don't believe that by any means. But... But absolutely, you don't owe your fans anything besides to keep and continuing to release whatever it is, whether it's movie, movies or songs or albums, whatever it may be. Your fans, whether they support you or not, whether they go see your movie, buy your albums, that doesn't give them a leg up to be able to treat you as anything less than a human being. That is the perfect way to sum that up. I completely agree with you there. And I just want to move on and talk about something... I want to say uplifting, but part of it's not, as our last topic, and that is Ellen DeGeneres, and she is celebrating, I guess we could say, she's celebrating the 20th anniversary of her publicly coming out, which is very exciting. Um, So on her sitcom, Ellen, she came out through her character in an episode called The Puppy Episode, which was back on April 30th, 1997. So the title itself is kind of where... It, it gets a little bit upsetting because they first pitched this idea about her coming out on the show and it was immediately rejected. And people at um, ABC and Disney, the parent company, were saying, no, absolutely not. You can't do that. That's way too controversial. We're not doing that. Just have her get a puppy in the episode. And that's where it came from. Because naturally that would solve any... Exactly. <laughs> if yeah. you can't come out, just get a puppy. Right. Yeah, so she's looking back at the choice that she made and the impact that it had on her career. So on Friday's episode, which while we're actually filming this, she's actually, that episode is airing for us right now. So we haven't gotten a chance to watch it, but I'm very excited to go back and watch it. But we have seen some clips. So she comes out and she starts the episode uh, by saying, I'm Ellen and I'm gay. And that's kind of her her first remarks on this episode that's marking the 20th anniversary. And the whole episode is really about her coming out. So she has on Oprah and Laura Dern, who um, were both on her sitcom on the episode where she did come out and had huge roles on it. Um, she posted a teaser on Instagram, had clips from the interviews, and it had a cake with her Time magazine cover. And she captioned it, quote, I can't wait for you to see this on tomorrow. It might be my favorite episode ever. What a difference 20 years makes. Absolutely amazing. And Erin, before the show, we watched a little seven-minute segment of her interview with Oprah from the the episode that's airing today, not from 20 years ago, there's anything I can take away from this immediately besides from just being open, finding your identity, staying true to yourself no matter what. It's that the power of women and when you uplift each other, how, how amazing that can be. Oprah, Laura Dern, and Ellen, all three of them still remaining close to this day, two women being part of this iconic episode and I think that that's so vital that those characters easily could have been men she could have been talking with you know a a famous male talk show host instead of Oprah she should have she could have confided not should have could have confided in a man to you know come out she had men I think she lived with a man on the show she was roommates with men I, I don't know what but you know, she had a consistent guy friend on the show, she could have easily come out to just them. And I think that it's just the importance here from a greater greater societal 
aspect, not just of being straight or gay and who you love and who you choose to love, but just the power of just the second that you open your heart, open your mind and just become accepting, what can come of this? Because 20 years later and these three women are still friends and they still confide in one another. And I think that that's so special too. And that doesn't matter of your sexuality or your sexual preference. That can happen with anybody. As soon as you find your person and are able to talk to them and feel comfortable, the magic that can come of that is just amazing. It definitely is. And it speaks volumes about the kinds of people that that these women are and their characters. And it goes much deeper than just being actors on a show on a sitcom 20 years ago. And so Ellen is actually talking about her decision to do it and why she ultimately decided that she was going to come out on her sitcom. And she said that she was doing fine. She had a career. There was no really real reason there for her to, to come out and risk everything. She said, quote, no matter how many times I tried to rationalize that I didn't need anyone to know, I knew that was a secret. And I knew that there was a possibility that people would hate me for the simple fact that no matter how much they loved my comedy or my show, but they might hate me if they knew I was gay. But at the end of the day, she realized that that she couldn't hide her true self any longer. She was going to risk her success. And it's easy for us to sit here today and say that it didn't affect her success. It didn't impact anything. Absolutely. But that's... It's naive. Yeah, it's it's not the case. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. And and for a while there, she she underwent a lot of scrutiny. Definitely. Oprah Oprah herself talks about, you know, the, the hate mail that came in after going on that episode. And she got... Things like go back to Africa and, and the racism that she was exposed to even. So, you know, Ellen was was definitely exposed after having come out as gay. But Oprah herself, she was like, I didn't even think of that. When you called me and asked me to be a part of this, I didn't say, let me check my schedule. Let me get back to you. Oprah's like, correct me if I'm wrong. But I said yes right away. I wanted to be a part of this monumental moment. And I think that it forever not changed because there's – there's still so much more that we as a society need to evolve into in terms of acceptance, but really shifted the way in which celebrities could open up to, to fans, and I think it goes along with today's topic. We talk about the privacy of your life and, and what you choose to expose here, but with every celebrity that we talked about previously to Ellen today had nothing to do about their true self or their true identity, but rather the happiness and the life that they wanted to live. But here, Ellen herself, she almost felt trapped in her own body because she wanted to share this with people, but she didn't want it to be a bigger deal than it when, than it really was. She exactly. just felt as though she was almost not lying, of course, but there was no need to keep it a secret. Yeah. And I think that that's a, that's a necessary thing to note. We're not here contradicting everything we said. We as fans of Ellen don't think we deserve to know absolutely every bit of her life, but she, as a human, felt like she was keeping this secret for no reason. It's and not that, that we deserve it. It's that she deserves it. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that then her fans deserve to be able to relate to her if they can find that, you know, if, if they're struggling with their identity by any means. When celebrities come out and are open about things so important and vital like those, it creates an entirely new understanding and, and realm of acceptance, or so we can hope, because then people are able to relate to them. Definitely. I mean, Ellen for sure paved the way for a lot of other people, celebrities or not, to feel comfortable coming out, whether it's about being gay, whether it's about any other secret that you feel like you have to hide because society makes you or you're a scared of judgment. And she really, 
she faced so much backlash after that. And like you said, so did Oprah, so did Laura Dern, who played her love interest on the show. Um, Ellen said that there was a bomb scare when they were shooting. She received death threats just for coming out as being gay. It's just, it's hard to wrap our heads around. I mean, we were like two at the time. Right. And now we're in so much more of an accepting society. And yes, there's still so much room to grow, whether it's about um, you being gay or your race or whatever it may be. Of course, there's so much room for us to grow. But as far as accepting people when they come out as gay, we've come so far. And as far as our lives are concerned, we've kind of grown up in a more accepting world. And it's just hard to imagine a celebrity getting death threats or a bomb scare on set because you're gay. Absolutely. And Aaron, I think that we as a society, there's no denying that we have progressed, but there's still so much more room to grow. And I can only hope that in another 20 years from now, People won't even be able to, 20-year-olds won't even be able to fathom how people who were gay even needed to come out. That's that's the progression that we as a society really need to make because right now it's all too close for comfort in the terms of we can somewhat wrap our head around this time and that is death threats for being your true self or, you know, hate mail for coming out or or having to come out and, and feeling as though you had that weighted pressure on you. And so I can only help hope that in 20 years from now that will be such a far so far in the past that when people are talking about Ellen DeGeneres coming out as gay, they don't even know what coming out means because you're gay and who you love is who you love. And I think that that's the progression we as a society really need to make. You know, we're sitting here talking about it, honoring and acknowledging the change that has shifted in our society over the time, but yet we can still understand it so much you know and I think that that's really interesting and necessary to note. There's no denying that Ellen was extremely brave Oprah calls her the bravest woman ever, so that in itself speaks volumes. But I think that, yeah, the second that we acknowledge that we've come so far is perhaps the second that we stop moving forward. That's a great way to put it. I think you're right. And I think it all comes from understanding. I mean, one of my favorite quotes from this with Ellen was her saying, quote, a lot of people don't understand being gay. And because they don't understand it, they fear it. And because they fear it, they hate it. And it's it's a scary progression of she's right. If you don't understand something, then... You fear it. And when you fear something, you stay away from it. You don't like it. You try to push it away and pretend it doesn't exist. But we all need to just understand it. You don't have to be gay to understand it. Like, right. And I think with someone like Ellen being the person she is and the platform she has and how she uses that platform for good and is always so open with her audience and her viewers and just lets people into her life, I feel like that has helped so much with understanding and for me, I mean, I've grown up watching Ellen. And so I've grown up with seeing a lesbian on TV on my favorite talk show ever. And it's just like, I'm, I'm used to it. Like, I feel like I understand it and I understand her and I'm so comfortable with everything. And it's hard to pinpoint why. But I feel like, honestly, Ellen is a huge part of that. And I think that if she can do that for as many people as she is, then then we really, we're, we're going up and, and we're doing better and good for Ellen for being the person she is and using the platform she has for good. Absolutely. I mean, in 1997, 42 million people watched that puppy episode. And at the time, Ellen says that she thinks it was, is, it was one of the largest audiences to ever have sat down and actually watched a show in one single sitting. And I think that that speaks volumes. Whether you like it or not, whether it challenges you or not, whether you feel comfortable with it or not, well, that's not your choice, but educate yourself. And I think that we need to open these conversations, open these topics, because although we've made so much progress in the past 20 years, there's still so much more progress to make. Of course, there definitely is. But we've come so far. 
we've come so far in two and a half years. It's sad. We only have one more episode left, we but do. we're definitely making the most of it. So thank you so much to our producer, Kate Douglas. And our audio technician, David Pekka. And we will see you one more time next week. Yes. The recap presented by ICTV will return next week. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter at the underscore recap and like us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash the recap podcast. 